Well, good evening, Saturday night. Great to see you. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, I just want to say, uh, I was listening to the message Dre did last week in Philippians. What an awesome message. But the high point of the message for me was when he uh, shared the truth about oatmeal uh, raisin cookies. And... Uh, I had some people, we had a big discussion about that in our life group, and I said, there's one thing that I vet before, uh, before I let anyone take the stage at Rocky Peak, there's one thing I vet, and it's how you feel about oatmeal, uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. Like, we don't let anyone take the stage here. Yeah, who believes that you can be out there, you cannot be up here. Uh, 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 so just... Anyway, well, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and of course, I'm just kidding uh, for the most part. Um, uh, we're going to go to our time of teaching, so if you're brand new, I want to welcome you, but inside the program is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week that's uh, just a great way to follow along. You'll definitely need that to, to be with us and kind of follow through, so I encourage you to take that out, and then if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here, your people and your place underneath your leadership, and we're just hungry to learn. We're hungry to grow as we talk about what does it look like to be a, a people, to live a life that advances the gospel. And so uh, we pray today as we come that your spirit would be our teacher. He would open our eyes and, and ears to see what you're saying. I pray for me, Lord, that words would be clear and that together we would we'd gather around your word. We'd hear your voice through your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today our story starts last summer, and uh, I, I was surprised to, to hear from him with this, this news um, that I, I got an email one day, and uh, uh, it was an email from a friend who used to be on our team here at Rocky Peak. Uh, he had uh, grown up uh, with his family in India, in fact, in northern India, in the largest state in northern India, uh, right near the border with Nepal. And uh, when he was growing up, he was part of a big family. Um, his, there, were, there were 10 kids in his family. He was the oldest son. His father was an art teacher and part-time pastor, kind of bivocational pastor. And so uh, when his father retired, his father had a vision to go to this northern province of India, the largest province in India with over 200 million people, um, and, uh, uh, and to uh, and only 1% Christians and to go up there and to advance the gospel of Jesus. And so his, his vision was eventually to start a school. And it would be a school that um, would be excellent educationally, uh, advanced technologically, but it was really the, the goal of this was to be able to share the gospel in a way that built a community and introduced the gospel. And so, um, and so they did, they, they moved up there. His father listened and followed, took his family of 10 kids, up there in this sort of a dangerous area, really. It was, you know, 99% non-Christian, mostly Hindus, uh, Muslims, and uh, Buddhists. And so they, they expected some opposition, but they went up there, and about 20 years ago, my friend and one of his younger sisters launched this school. And they started with just 40 students. And uh, since then, over the last 20 years, they have served over 7,500 uh, students, and, um, and over that time, they've had to move at least three times to different campuses as their school has grown, but this last year, they were so excited because for the first time, they entered into a contract to buy their own piece of property, 
And so it looked like they were on their way. They're very excited. He's asked me, would you come over and do some teaching and do some leadership things here? And, and so they're just on their way. And so when I got this email, I was so surprised. No. Well, today... We are continuing this series that we've been in for the last four weeks. This is week number five called The Gospel. And uh, for those of you who are new, um, this, is, this, this series is based on a letter from a leader in the early movement of Jesus. We call him Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Christ followers that he actually led to Jesus about 10, 12 years before, a long ways away, 850 miles away um, in the, uh, the ancient city of Philippi, which is in uh, southern Greece, really close to the border between Europe and Asia today. And so uh, in this letter, more than any of his other 13 letters in our New Testament, he refers to the gospel. There's more proportionally in this letter than any other letter. But his emphasis in this letter, as we've talked about, is not so much the content of the gospel, um, as, as we've talked about this, this epic gospel that's so much bigger and brighter and bolder and higher and deeper and wider and richer than we've often understood. But his, his, his focus is not so much on the content of the gospel, but on the implications of the gospel. Like as we'll see today, the way he puts it is what does it look like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? And so the way I keep articulating that is uh, that what we're learning in this series is not just well, um, that, the, that the gospel is more than a message to be believed, it's a life to be lived, right? So today we come to a passage that's one of the most important passages in the whole letter. In fact, if Philippians were a, te- a term paper, this would be the thesis statement of the term paper. This is what it's about. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, if you'd open up, turn them on, and we're going to go to that section on your note sheet called the gospel, the challenge, because Paul's going to, this is the first he's going to challenge. So up to this point, uh, let's set the stage. Up to this point, here's what's happened. He's done his opening greeting. He did his introduction. And then he gave him an update on his situation in Rome, in prison in Rome. Now for the first time, he turns to their situation. Remember, remember what's happened. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial. He doesn't know whether he's going to be released, retained, or executed. In the midst of that, they're concerned about him. They send one of their top leaders, a man named Epaphrodite. He's an amazing guy. They send him 850 miles. It's probably going to take a month month and a half, two months, even if you're traveling 20 miles a day, uh, over to, to bring him a financial gift to support his ministry, to support him in prison. But when he gets there, of course, Epaphrodites, Paul knows him, he he loves this guy, he thinks he's amazing. They get to catch up, and in the process, Epaphrodites shares, here's what's going on back home, back in Philippi. And so now Epaphrodites has gotten very sick, he's almost died, but now he's healed again, and now he's ready to return. Paul's writing this letter and sending it back, but the letter is responding to what's going on in Philippi. And so today, we're gonna see for the first time in a direct way, Paul addresses the challenges they're facing in Philippi, and he's going to highlight two of the most important, in my opinion, two of the top three concerns he has in this letter. So if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick it up at uh, 127. We don't have to cover too much today because I gave a big assignment to Dre last week. <laughs> so and, and, uh, in chapter 1, verse 27, um, it says, whatever happens, right? So Whatever happens to me, I'm in prison, 
I don't know if I'm going to be released. I don't know if I'm going to be executed. But whatever happens to me, remember, they, he could die. This could be the last thing he's saying to them. So whatever happens to me, just make sure you conduct yourselves in a manner, let's read what comes next, in a manner what? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want you to catch this, very important. He's not saying that you would become worthy of the gospel. We, we can never be worthy of the gospel. He's saying, I want you to live a life that lives up to this epic vision this epic calling of what God has done in your life, this God who has started a good work in you, this God who's continuing this good work in you, that you've come under the authority of King Jesus, you've become part of this epic project where God is working to restore all of creation, and you have this unique role. He says, in light of your calling, live a life that is worthy of that calling. Live up to who you are. Be who you are. And he says, um, he says, and then, whether I come and see you, so in other words, whether I'm released from prison and I can come and visit you, or I only hear about you in my absence, so in other words, I'm dependent on these messengers, then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And believe it or not, in this opening challenge, we see two of the top three issues that we're going to be addressing in Philippians. What, we, what Paul has learned from Epaphroditus, apparently, is there's two things that he wants to address right off the top that are going on in Philippi. This is an amazing church. Many scholars believe it's his favorite church. Um, he loves these people. There's a deep love. There's a deep connection between them. And it's been an amazing church. They love God. They love people. They love Paul. They've been generous. They've participated in his ministry. They've shared in the gospel. He loves his church. But apparently what's going on is that there's beginning some interpersonal conflict that's happening in the church at Philippi. Have you ever been in a church where there's ever been any conflict? Yeah, I know it's just, it's kind of weird, but in the first century, you know, I know it doesn't happen today. But uh, have you ever heard of a church split, right? No? Okay, let me explain. Like, what that means. I know it's great. We don't have to deal with that today. But have you ever seen a church that something happens? Maybe uh, there's a falling out between leaders and sides are taken. Or there's some sort of uh, squabble that goes on or some sort of hurt feelings that goes on. And a whole church begins to fall apart. And a whole, some of you, I won't ask for a show of hands but I know that many of you here have been in a situation, it's extremely painful. And apparently this is what's going on. We're gonna learn more about this next week when we get to chapter two. But this is what's going on. And so uh, it sounds like it's not at uh, critical, uh, got a critical status yet, and yet you see the storm coming. And so what we see here is the first concern is this unity of the community, this that as followers of Jesus, as we'll see later, that he's called us to create this new community, a new humanity of Jesus, and this new koinonia, and that that's beginning to be threatened. And so that's the first concern. The second concern is that they're beginning to experience some, a, a fresh wave, apparently, of new opposition to the gospel. Much like he's in prison, they're experiencing persecution. And so what we're gonna see that these are two of the three top concerns of Paul of how to stand united, 
how to stand firm in the face of persecution. And these two themes go together, don't they? Because the whole point is to advance the gospel. And if you're not unified, you can't stand as one to advance the gospel. And so, um, so he says, in, if, you, if we read it again with those new eyes now, so whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm, catch this line, in one spirit. In the Greek, it literally says, in one spirit and one soul. And striving together as one person, as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Right? So you've got this theme of unity, standing firm, advancing the gospel, um, persecution. And he says, now, if you do this, if you stand united, if you love one another in the spirit and you, you build this strong community and you stand firm courageously for the gospel, he says, this is a sign, like a supernatural sign for them, for those, for those that are persecuting you. It's a sign of two things. Number one, that they'll be destroyed. <laughs> that they says, when the body of Christ stands firm under persecution, bold. It's a sign something supernatural is going on here. This is not normal. And when people stand firm in love, bold for the gospel, it's a sign to the persecutors that they're on the wrong side of Jesus and their end is destruction and that you're on the right side of Jesus and salvation is yours. He says, for it has been granted, and in the, the Greek the word is given, we'll, we'll come back to it later, for it's been given like a gift, it's been given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. This is a gift. And since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had. So when Paul first came to Philippi, he was, and shared the message of Jesus, he was arrested, he was beaten, thrown in prison, and put in stocks. And so he says, remember, uh, as you face persecution, remember how your story started. This happened to me when I was there sharing Jesus with you. That's how you started your spiritual journey. And he says, uh, since you're, you're going through the same struggle in your life that you saw I had, and now here I still have as I'm in, in prison, all right? So if you put the passage together, it goes like, it's very simple, it's like this. He says, hey, as followers of Jesus, whatever happens to me, whether I'm, a, whether I'm uh, reti- you know, uh, released or retained or executed, whatever happens to me, here's, here's the top thing. In fact, in the Greek, it's just one word. It says only. It's just like there's only one thing that matters. Whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter. One thing that matters is that you stand firm Amen. and that you stand united. And so as one voice, you stand back to back as brothers and sisters, you're advancing the gospel, and you're not being afraid of those who are are fighting against you and trying to stop you. This this, uh, courage under fire, this will be a sign to them that they're on the wrong side and you're on the right side. And uh, Jesus has given you a gift there in Philippi, not only believing and being part of the story, of, of salvation, but he's given you a gift of standing with him to share the good news to the world. And so that's the passage. Now what I want to do today is, uh, I love this passage because it, it really launches us into the book and it helps us to understand 
what does it look like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? What does it look like to live a life that lives up to the epic calling that we often talk about? And he highlights three, uh, three principles in here. It says for the Philippians, and we'll apply to our lives, of what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And so there in your note sheet, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by highlighting these three principles. Um, you have a section called the gospel, living the life. And the way I'm going to get at them is by giving you three phrases. Each phrase will represent a principle. And then at the end, we'll come back and we'll do some evaluation. I'll give you three questions to evaluate your life, my life. How are we doing uh, in, uh, in, living, uh, in terms of living a life worthy of the gospel in these three areas? Okay, so number one. The first phrase is unity in community. Now, this is big. You know, often when we think of the gospel, and we've talked about it often in this series, we think of a simple plan of salvation, which is certainly part of the gospel. But as we've seen, the gospel is much bigger. The gospel is this promise that, that, that God is fulfilling, that one day he would come, that through the line of David, a great king would come, and that he has come, and that through his life and his death, his resurrection, through his ascension to rule, and through his return, that he's turning all things new, and that through that death, we can be reconciled to God and to one another. And so the gospel is big, but when we use the word gospel today, we often think in terms of our vertical relationship with God. Have you shared the gospel with someone? And what we often mean is, have you told them how to get right with God through Jesus Christ? Nothing wrong with that. But what we're learning in this series and what we're gonna be learning is the gospel is much bigger that Jesus' vision is a vision of reconciliation. And his vision is a vision he has come to reconcile all things. And he's come to reconcile not just our relationship vertically with God, He's come to reconcile our relationship horizontally with one another. So the gospel has both a vertical and a horizontal dimension. And so Jesus has come not just to save individuals. Jesus has come to create a new humanity, a new community that will live with him forever in the new world that's coming. And so what we're learning is that To live a life worthy of the gospel is not just being right with God, it's being right with one another. And that to uh, live a life that's worthy of the gospel is going to require that we learn how to do relationships a whole new way. And this is crazy, we'll talk about this more next week, but in the Christian community you often see this, that we come to Jesus, we get saved, with this new relationship with God, and a lot of things change in our life. Maybe some of our old habits change. Maybe uh, some of our our bad practices change. Uh, Maybe our language changes. Maybe we start going to church. We maybe join a small group. We start serving. We start giving. There's a lot of things that change, all that's good. But one of the things that often doesn't change is the way we do relationships. And so we come to Jesus and we love Jesus and we're all about the gospel, but we still do our relationships in the same old way. We still approach relationships with a me first attitude. We still, uh, are out, we still go through life with selfish ambition being our driver. 
We still live uh, lives that are about ego and about us getting the glory and the credit. Uh, We still hold on to our old prejudices that we had before we came to Jesus. Um, We still do conflict the same way, that when we have a falling out with someone, say like at a life group, we still do it like we used to do it. We either attack or withdraw, right? We, and so we we're still use our words in the wrong way to tear people down and still to build them up. And yet we can see ourselves as a mature follower of Jesus. We, we see ourselves as someone who is standing firm for the gospel, and yet we're denying the gospel in the way that we, because the gospel isn't just vertical. The gospel is horizontal. Are you with me here? And so this is what the Philippians were forgetting. They had experienced the power of God. They had experienced the communion of the Holy Spirit. They had experienced tremendous koinonia in their church. But something has come up, likely tied to two leaders. We'll talk about this more next week, where the church is beginning to part. They're beginning perhaps to take sides. They're beginning to to, uh, lose what it means to live the gospel. And so they're They're standing firm for what the gospel teaches and yet denying the gospel with their lives. So the first phrase is this unity in community, and we're going to be unpacking that a lot in the next couple of weeks. Now, number two, the second phrase is courage under fire. That to live a life that's worthy of the gospel means that we need to learn how to live a life of great courage in the face of opposition. So I put this passage there in your note sheet again. So the one we just read, but I, I took out certain parts just to make it go a little faster. So let's just follow. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit. We just talked about that unity and community, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose, oppose you. Isn't that beautiful? Well, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if we were all that way? <laughs> You're like, wouldn't you like to be that way? I'd love to be that way. Like, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so one of the marks of living a life that's worthy of the gospel is growing in our courage. So that we're able to stand for what is right and true and good and the message of Jesus um, in the face of hostile reaction. And so he goes on and he says, um, this is a sign to them. We talked about that, you, that they'll be destroyed. And, uh, you'll be saved, that by God. For it has been granted for you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here I have. So he says, remember back. Remember how your journey started. Remember when I first shared, remember what it cost me to share the gospel with you. Amen. Remember the courage that I showed. And so if you're gonna live a life worthy of the gospel, it means that we need to be willing to stand with Jesus, for Jesus, on his behalf, to share his love with a world that's often hostile. And that this is a critical component of living a life that's worthy of the gospel. And notice what he says. He says, this is a sign. When we stand together unified in love as a community of Jesus, and when we stand uh, united against opposition to advance the gospel, 
He says, when that happens, it becomes a sign. Now, not everyone is going to read a sign any more than any kind of supernatural sign. But for those who have eyes to hear and you know, uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, it becomes a sign. Right? It's a soup, like something is happening. Like think with me back in the book of Acts, and I think it's Acts, I think it's five, I'm not sure. But Peter and John get arrested for sharing the gospel, and then they get thrown into prison, then an angel lets them out at night. And then they, he says, go stand in the temple. And they go teach some more. And they get arrested again. Hey, we told you not to do this. We told you bad things were going to happen if you do this. And then they beat them and they whip them. They say, stop doing this. And it says that Peter and John went away rejoicing that they were considered worthy to, sell, <laughs> to suffer for the name. Amen. And you read a story like that and you go, that's not normal. <laughs> that is a sign. Something is... How can someone go through that kind of beating and be celebrating that they were considered worthy to bear the name of Jesus? That's not normal. And you know what? When you look at it, it's not normal to us. It's not normal to non-believers either. And when they see someone risking their life, risking their reputation, and when they see someone who's not frightened but is bold, it's a sign it's a sign there's more to them than meets the eye, and there is more to this message than I may have thought. And we started the day with this story of this email that I got from this friend that I used to work with is in India. And um, I was so surprised because things have been going so well. And they had entered into contract to get this first property. It's something that's been a dream of theirs. It's been going so well. Uh, over the years, they have done such a great job. Their school has developed a tremendous reputation in the community for excellence in education. They have local dignitaries and mayors and coming to honor them, even though they're Christians in the midst of this, this uh, you know, uh, alternate uh, kind of religious uh, kind of atmosphere there. Um, and so I was so surprised because when I got the email, what I found out is that his sister, who is the principal of the school, had just been arrested. And she had been arrested, and the false accusation, and just a quick sidebar here, you do understand this, as followers of Jesus, the world doesn't play fair. When, you're, when someone comes against you for the gospel, they rarely tell the real reason. Think in Philippi, when, when Paul got arrested, the reason that was given, given was that they're teaching us customs that are illegal for us as Romans to follow. The real reason is they'd lost money on this slave girl that could no longer tell fortunes. The accusation that was brought against her is she's forcibly converting people to Christianity. That's not true. But anyway, so she is arrested, and they, they believe it's because of three kind of uh, radical uh, Muslim groups, in, or Hindu groups, rather, in the area, um, that, are, that are, are behind this. But so she's arrested and she's thrown into a prison. Now his, his words to me is, this is not an American prison. This is a hundred women uh, on a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a prison with concrete floors. You sleep on the concrete floor. The temperature is over 100 degrees with high humidity and no air conditioning. Mosquitoes are swarming all over the place. She's afraid to eat the food because it looks and tastes as if it's been medicated to keep them under control. 
Many, if not most of the women are in there for murder. Uh, most of them for murdering their husbands because they've been abused for so long by their husbands or in-laws that it's their last, last chance that they murdered and they, they were caught. And so there's a lot of conflict going on in this prison. She's a minority. She's a Christian in the midst of this, this prison. And so when she goes into prison, my friend tells her, you need to be really careful about saying why you're in there. You need to be really careful about who you are and what you say. And she tells him later, I appreciate your concern, but the Spirit's telling me to be bold. And so she begins talking about Jesus in this prison. And she begins brokering peace between some of the women and groups of women who were having conflict. And the prison officials begin to appreciate her because she's bringing peace and calm to a very dangerous situation. And so they give her free reign to do whatever she wants. And so she begins, some women who are sick begin coming to her and she begins praying for them and several are healed. And more women start coming to her. And so then she begins to tell them more about Jesus. And then pretty soon, every night, she's teaching Bible studies every night and teaching them worship songs and praise songs. And several women come to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. And over time, they begin to refer to her as their big sister. And one woman comes to her one day and says, you know, we were really hoping you'll be released, but we're hoping it's not too soon. (laughs) Another woman comes to her, what's the name of our new God? Jesus Christ. And so after two months, on September the 4th, she was released on bail. Her case is still pending. It's in the courts. Here's a woman that goes into a very dangerous situation and loves people and ministers to people and shares a message of Jesus boldly. And it becomes a sign, a sign that this, there's something to this God. And so what we're going to see in Philippians is that one of the big topics is that as followers of Jesus, we've been called not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer with Jesus for the sake of the world. He suffered with, for us, and now we have the privilege of suffering with him because we are his body. And we are his hands and feet. We are his voice in the world. And so becoming a follower of Jesus, that suffering is not something that's a sidebar to, to who we are. It goes to the core of who we are. We follow a crucified Savior. And we're, follow, we're called to to, to stand with him and for him in a hostile world. And that's part of our core identity of what it means to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. The third phrase is the phrase advancing the gospel. This is Paul's concern in Philippians is that is that he's in prison, right? And, 
And it's so beautiful, as you, as you, if you were here last week, and Dre was teaching last week, we saw that Paul was in prison, but his primary concern wasn't whether he was released or retained. His primary concern wasn't whether he was executed or went on living. His primary concern was how do we advance the gospel in this situation? So, for example, there in your note sheet, in Philippians 1.12, this was from last week, this is where, remember, you know, the way the letter is laid out, it starts off with a greeting, then the introduction, and now he's ready to talk about his situation. And the very first thing he says is, in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, or it's being arrested, retained, no, you know, no trial date in sight, held in prison, false accusation, that what has happened to me has actually served to, what's it say next? Advance the gospel. So when you buy your t-shirts and it says advance, it's not by accident, all right? That, that, that this is, how do we advance the gospel? So, uh, so he says, has actually served to advance. And if you were here last week, you, you remember, he says, so here's what's happened. It looks negative. I know you're concerned I'm in prison. I know you're, I'm your leader. That's got to be discouraging. But I want you to know that this has actually advanced the gospel. That uh, because I'm in here, the brothers and sisters here in Rome uh, have a new boldness to share about Jesus. And my kind of detractors here, they're believers, but they're detractors. They, they want to take away from my influence in Rome. And so they're out there really trying to preach the gospel and make a lot of disciples right now and get some of my old disciples underneath them so they can have more power and influence. He says, but hey, you know what? That's okay. It's like, yeah, that's a bummer why they're doing it, but hey, the gospel's getting preached. And, and that's a good thing, and I'm excited about that. And he says, and, and so I'm waiting for trial, and I'm waiting to go before Caesar. And look what he says in verse, um, verse 20 and 21. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. In other words, I won't blow it. Um, but that I'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And so, so for Paul, the issue is not whether I'm in prison or out of prison, whether I live or die. The issue is how does Jesus use me to advance the gospel? Amen. And of course, the reason he's sharing that with them last week is because he's modeling this for them. Without saying it, he's modeling, this is how you should approach your opposition in Philippi. Are you with me? That's why he went into such great detail, is because he's saying, this is how I'm processing my imprisonment. And this is how you need to be processing yours. This is why it's so important you get along. This is why it's so important you don't hide your light. Because if you get along and you take a firm stand, you'll advance the gospel. So you look again at what he says in Philippians 1.27. He says, so whatever happens to me, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, and then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, and here it is, striving together, and that's an athletic term, like a wrestling, like you're striving together 
as one for the faith of the gospel. You see? And so what Paul wants us to understand is as followers of Jesus, if we are going to live a life worthy of the gospel, three of the things that are high on the list is that we pursue unity in community, that we learn to uh, have courage under fire through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't back off. You know, that we love people and continue to share the message even when there's resistance. And that, uh, that finally then, that we do all these things so that in our life, wherever we find our circumstances, that our primary goal is how can I advance the gospel in this situation, right? Now, so, so that leads to three questions. Then. So let's do a little bit of evaluation and see like where's our next step in our journey, your life, my life. How do we, uh, you know, what's the next step in these three uh, areas as we learn to live a life worthy of the gospel? So there's this on your note sheet, living the life, three key questions. So, so here's the first question we're not going to spend as much time about on because the next couple of weeks we're going to dive, kind of do a deep dive because Paul goes deep with these next week. But I want to get it on the table because unity and persecution are, the, are two of the three main themes. We're going to keep coming back to them. So I want to get it on our radar, get you thinking about it this week, let the Holy Spirit begin kind of marinating in this this week. And so we come back next week, we're ready. So the first question is, is unity a priority? Is unity, what we've seen today is the gospel has both a vertical and a horizontal uh, dimension. That Jesus has come not just to rescue individuals, Jesus has come to create a new community, a new family, a new priesthood, many different metaphors, but, but the that what I want you to catch is, is that in the, in the new world that's coming, in the new creation, it's going to be followers of Jesus that populate that. And that's going to be us. We are the new humanity that's coming. And so Jesus has come not just to save in, individuals, but to create a new race, a new family. And so when we come to Jesus, uh, it's impossible to live a life that's worthy of the gospel as a Lone Ranger Christian. We're created to be in community, but not just in community, but unity in community. And so the question is, uh, how connected are we with the community of Jesus? And then how healthy are those relationships? And are we learning to do relationships in a whole new way or have we kind of bought into this idea the gospel is just about a vertical relationship and so we can be saved but have all these broken relationships and old prejudices and old ways of dealing with one another that have never been transformed by the gospel, you see? And so, the, so I want to get into that. Is unity a priority? Jesus said in John 13, all people will know that you're my followers if you love each other. All right, number two. The second question I have for you, I'm going to spend more time on this one, is are you standing firm under fire? Are you standing firm under fire? We've seen today that a big part of living a life worthy of the gospel is to stand firm under fire. It's interesting because if you look at uh, uh, Philippians 1.29 there in your note sheet, notice the language. It says, it has been what? It's been granted to you. That kind of feels like Bible language. 
to me. Like, nothing wrong with it. It's just we don't talk that way, right? We, everyone say you apply for a grant, but we don't really talk like, oh, it's granted to me. They granted this to me. You know, it's like we don't really talk like that. Uh, and in the Greek, it's, it's not like a special word. It's just the normal word for giving or gift. Um, it's a normal word for being graced, like a gift of grace, actually. Like, like a grace gift is it's actually even more accurate. And so what Paul is saying is that it's, you, it's been given to you by grace. It's, it's been given to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So what Paul is saying is when you came to Jesus, you got two gifts. One was the gift of belief. That when you came to Jesus, remember it's supernatural, right? When he went, that the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see who Jesus was and, and he gave you the ability to trust in him and, and to give your life to him and you became part of this gospel story, this epic story and you received the gift of your of the Holy Spirit to begin transforming you. And this was all a gift. I mean, saved by faith, it's a gift, right? He says that you received a gift and most of us are, have unwrapped or are unwrapping that gift, right? We celebrate that gift, but he's saying, but you've also been given a second gift that here in America, we seldom have to unwrap. And he said, it's a gift. Interesting what his language, it's the gift of not only believing, but also suffering for him. Standing with Jesus. So look at it this way. Jesus loves the world. Jesus came to save the world. Jesus suffered to save the world. And now we are his hands and feet, and we have this privilege of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and being his representatives to stand with him and for him, to love the world for him. And yes, that will require suffering because Jesus said, if the world hates you, don't be surprised they hated me first. But, but you've been given this privilege to stand with Jesus and this epic mission of standing with him and for him and bringing the light of God into a dark world so that people can be rescued. And so Paul says, you've been given this, this gift. He said, and you saw this when you first came to Jesus back in Philip. You remember, you saw in me. You see it, I'm in prison now. And you've been given the privilege of being part of this epic rescue project. And so it's interesting because here in our country, for probably most of us in this room, we've not had to suffer a lot for Jesus. Um, I know I certainly haven't. And so I'm talking way over my head here. But you know, around the world today, people are opening this gift all the time. And what they're discovering is, is that there is a relationship with Jesus, a knowledge of Jesus, and an experience of resurrection life that only comes through opening this gift. This is why when you talk with believers in persecuted countries, they're so passionate about Jesus because they have opened this gift. And the thing is, until you open this gift, we will never know the heart of Jesus and know how much he loves until we stand with him in that love. 
You know, I mentioned, um, I mentioned earlier in the year, we did that series, Rooted, and in one of the weeks, I believe it was in that series, I mentioned a book that has had a big impact. I mean, it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. It's not on your note sheet, but it's called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. And Nick is a researcher, and it's a long story, and I won't go into it, but through a series of events, he ended up doing years of research, traveling the world to the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. And his goal was to have uh, underground interviews with Christians in the most dangerous places in the world. What's it like to be a follower of Jesus in these places? And he did over 700 in-depth interviews. And some of the stories are just so amazing. Uh, I think of one of the stories, um, they met with believers in Russia, mixture of pastors, church leaders, different things. And, uh, and, and the, the persecution there is not as bad now as it was you know, before the Iron Curtain days. And so this was right after that. And, and so they were, he was just, they were just telling him firsthand stories of how they'd been arrested and beaten and uh, imprisoned for years and years and tortured in prison and their families persecuted on the outside and not able to get jobs and not able to go to university, their children, and, and all these things. And Nick is just blown away. This was near the start of his journey of interviewing people. He's just blown away. He's like, this is crazy. How come the world doesn't know these stories? Christians around the world need to know these stories. How come they haven't been documented? How come they haven't been videotaped? And they kept looking at him like he was from Mars. Like, why would anyone want to hear these stories? And he's like, well, Christians, they need to hear this. Like, and they couldn't get it. And finally, this one older man who had gone through so much took Nick to the window. And he said, Nick, I want you to look out that window. He said, um, have you ever taken your son out maybe early in the morning before dawn and then watched the sun come up together? And when the sun came up, you started jumping and screaming, yes, there it comes. And he said, well, no, why would I do that? It comes up every day. He said, well, that's how we see persecution. Persecution here is as predictable as the sun rising every day. Why would we tell stories about it? I think of the interviews he did with Chinese underground house Chinese leaders in China. And Everyone he talked to had either been in prison at least for three years or was planning to go to prison. <laughs> Expected to go to prison. And one of the things they shared with him is that, Nick, over here, prison is our seminary. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many Christians in prison. This is how we train our pastors. <laughs> when we go to prison, this is our seminary. This is where we learn how to be a pastor. It's how we learn the word. We have all this time on our hands. You know, it's like, and they said, over here, if a, if a man hasn't gone to prison, if a woman hasn't gone to prison, we don't really trust their leadership yet. <laughs> like, they haven't really passed the test. I think of a story of one man in Eastern Europe named Stoyan. His family had been, his father had been persecuted. He became a, Stoyan became a pastor. He became, he, he was persecuted terribly for years. And in part of the interview, he said to Nick, 
He said, I have such joy. I'm so grateful that God chose me and allowed me to suffer here for him. Because I, I know one of the things that got me through is I knew that by suffering here for him, it was giving you the freedom to share the gospel there. And then he said, Nick, never let them take, never give away in Kentucky in your freedom what we would never give away here in our persecution. And what's so amazing in this letter is that we get to chapter three, Paul is going to roll this out. And he's say, my passion in life is I want to know Jesus. He's the one thing in my life, I want to know Jesus. And he said, you know what? I want to know the power of his resurrection more. And he said, but I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Like Paul understood to really know Jesus, to know the heart of Jesus, he would have to suffer like Jesus to understand him and his love and what drove him. And so to live a life worthy of the gospel means that we learn how to have courage under fire. The Holy Spirit teaches us that. And here in our country, the price for following Jesus is so small compared to that. But if you haven't noticed, the price is trending up. And you know what, where I would tend to go, oh no, here it comes. Paul would go, all right, the gift is coming. You're gonna finally, get, well, you're gonna finally learn what it is to know Jesus. You've been screwing around all these years, you know? It's like, you're finally gonna get to know what it is, you know, because Jesus is gonna meet you there. And Jesus is gonna empower you there. And you're gonna experience the life and the power and the love of Jesus like you've never experienced it before. You're, you're gonna experience a fellowship of his sufferings. You're, you're gonna come to know him in new ways. You're gonna be transformed. You're gonna advance the gospel. He says, Philippians, you've been given a gift, not just to believe, but to stand with him and for him for the sake of the world. Amen? Amen. And then the last question is are you advancing the gospel? You know, when we come to Jesus, we become part of his movement. And every one of us becomes uh, one of his representatives 24-7. And as followers of Jesus, the primary calling in our life is to advance the gospel. Remember what Jesus said, seek first, what? The kingdom and his righteousness, right? So, so we come under his leadership and we're to be a dentist. So he, he's put us in so many different places. He's put us in dentist office. He's put us, I don't mean his patients. I mean, he's put, us at, he's put us as school teachers. He's put us as truck drivers. He's made us engineers and college professors and construction workers and even pastors. And he's placed us right where he wants us. And he's put us in families, and he's, he's put us in marriages, and he's given us children, and we've got neighbors around us. And he says, hey, you need to be asking the question, wherever you go, how do I advance the gospel? This epic message 
of the king? How do I advance the gospel? You know, this last couple of weeks, I've just been praying, Lord, what does it look like for the church of Rocky Peak to advance the gospel? How do we, as a church, advance the gospel? But you know, so many times, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we talked about the glory of God and living for the glory, that so many times in our life, understandably, when we find ourselves in hard situations, we find ourselves in a prison of sorts. Maybe it's a relational prison. Maybe it's a health prison. Maybe it's a work prison. You know, maybe it's an economic prison. It's a racial prison. There's something that we feel like, I wish life wasn't like this. That our natural tendency is always to say, God, get me out of this. And that's natural, right? I mean, who wants to sign up for pain, right? It's like, yeah, that's natural. I get that. But as followers of Jesus, we have to start thinking differently. And we have to start thinking not get me out of this prison, but how can I advance the gospel the most in this prison? And if, if by releasing me from this prison, I can advance the gospel more, then would you release me? And if I can, by being rescued from death, I can advance the gospel more, then release me from death. But if I can bring you more glory and advance your name and kingdom more by being in prison, if I can advance the kingdom more by dying, then I'm all in. Now that's Paul. That's not me. But that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. And you know what? More importantly, that's where Paul wants us to go. One of the big topics of this whole book is modeling. And you're going to see it more than once. Paul's going to say, in not these words, but he'll say in chapter 3, he'll say, follow me as I follow Jesus. He is not saying, hey, this is how superstar Christians live. He's saying, this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. This is not for the special people. This is for all of us. Paul's just marking the path so we know how to follow. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, we want to live lives that advance the gospel, and we would be the first to admit we get so myopic. It's all about us and our comfort and our safety and our things, and God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what's at stake. We pray that we would, you would teach us how to embrace the gift, not of believe, just believing, but of suffering for you, not for the sake of suffering, but for the sake of love, for the sake of the world, for the sake of your name, that we would stand with you and for you and that in that we would come to know you in ways we never have before. We experience the everlasting, the life, the resurrection life of Jesus as we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We pray as we bring our offering, our gifts, our tithes, would you use these to build a beautiful place here, a place that loves you, that loves one another, a community of koinonia that stands firm to advance the gospel together. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? You know, he came as the light of the world, 
And the word says that the light came in the world and the darkness tried to come against it. And when we, you know, shine the light, um, the same thing will happen. But what Jesus continued to do is to love his enemies in the face of that. And that's what he calls us to do. It's what he meant when he said, you are the light of the world. Not you should be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Like either you shine or there is no light. That he chooses to work through his body. We are his hands and we are his feet. And so he calls us to live, in theology we call it the cruciform life. The, the life that is the life of the cross. That we lay down our life when required for the sake of the world as he laid it down for us. We do that in love. We do it with grace. We do it with great courage. Paul says, not being frightened in any way. Isn't that a beautiful picture? May that be our story, that as we grow, as we listen, as we follow, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us with a spirit, not of, of, uh, of fear, but, a, but a, a spirit of power and of a sound mind, and that we would speak boldly and beautifully, compellingly, to a, a dark world, that there is a king, a king who loves them, but a king that must be responded to. Amen? Amen. You, I hope that you have a great week. I look forward to seeing you next week as we go today. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, we've got a prayer team on my right, your left. They have badges on. They'd love to pray with you. And next week, we'll begin to unpack what it looks like and what it requires of us to build the community of Jesus, the koinonia, that is his vision in the gospel. Amen? So I'll see you then. God bless.